Welcome to the sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church in downtown Bentonville. If you have questions related to what you hear today, or just want to find out more about the ministries at First United Methodist Church, please visit us online at fumcbentonville.org, or check us out on Facebook, Instagram, or TikTok. So we are in this series of legacy where we are examining what legacies are left to us, what legacies we will lead, all of that. And today we're going to look at a leader's legacy through the lens of the leadership of David. And with that in mind, uh, let us hear now this passage from 2 Samuel chapter 16. When King David came to Baharim, a man from the same clan as Saul's family came out from there. His name was Shammai. He was Gera's son. He was cursing as he came out. He threw rocks at David and at all of King David's servants, even though the entire army and all the warriors were on either side of him. This is what Shammai said as he cursed David. Get out of here. Get out of here. You are a murderer. You are despicable. The Lord has paid you back for all the blood of Saul's family in whose place you rule. And the Lord has handed the kingdom over to your son Absalom. You are in this trouble because you are a murderer. Zeruiah's son Abishai said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my master the king? Let me go over and cut his head off. But the king said, My problems aren't yours, you sons of Zeruiah. If he is cursing because the Lord told him to curse David, then who is to question why are you doing this? Then David addressed Abishai and all his servants, Listen, my own son, one of my very own children, wants me dead. This Benjaminite can only feel the same, only more. Leave him alone and let him curse, because the Lord told him to. Perhaps the Lord will see my distress. Perhaps the Lord will repay me with good for cursing this day. So David and his men kept walking, while Shammai went along on the hillside next to him, cursing as he went, throwing rocks and dirt at him. The king and all the people who were with him reached the Jordan River exhausted, and he rested there. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, open our hearts, our minds, and our eyes, that we might see and know the word you have for us this day. In your holy name we pray. Amen. So as we look at what it means to have a legacy as a leader, I think we have to start with the very first question, which is, what does it take to be a leader? Well, that answer is very easy. Followers. That's all you need. And that is no small accomplishment. When I was younger, I had a lot to say back then, too. Uh, only I maybe didn't have as refined a voice and maybe didn't have a, a clear understanding of what it meant to lead. So people would say to me, you know, Michelle, I can see you out protesting some interesting cause on the Capitol steps alone, but protesting nonetheless. Well, that doesn't make me a leader. It might make me a prophet, but it doesn't make me a leader. Because as John C. Maxwell put it, he who thinks he leads but has no followers is taking a walk. (laughs) And there are lots of leaders who have followers. David Koresh, Jim Jones, Stalin, Hitler. 
With that list in mind, it begs us then to dig deeper and to ask a different question. It begs us to ask, what does it take to be a great leader? That's a much harder question, and it gets to the heart of this question of legacy. What kind of leaders do we want to learn how to be leaders from? Who do we need as models? I'm going to be making reference to um, this book by John White. Um, John White, for those of you who uh, don't know, is a former chancellor of the University of Arkansas. By the way, go Hogs. We're off to the Sweet 16. (laughs) Woo-woo! But he is the former chancellor of the University of Arkansas. He also has been a member of this church for quite some time. So... Uh, he shared this book with me, and I've been reading it in, in preparation for this sermon. And in it, he, he starts out by asking the question, are leaders born or are they created? And I think some people have a born capacity to lead, but it is through the examples that we see, through the learnings that we have, through the models that we encounter, that we are then created into being leaders. And we can learn from both good and bad models. But when it comes to thinking about the kind of leaders that we need to be, it is better to err on the side of being a good leader. He he writes here that being a good person is not a necessary condition for being a successful leader, but it is a necessary condition for being an exemplary leader. You do not want to model after those who are evil leaders. And so what are the traits of an exemplary leader? Well, uh, White spends quite a bit of time reflecting on what it means to be a servant leader. And I think that's especially important for us as Christians to consider. He talks about how he, at the University of Arkansas, after he had retired, he, he taught a leadership class and he invited many, many different leaders to come speak at that class. And one of those was the former president and CEO of Tyson Foods, Donald Smith. And Donald Smith defined servant leadership as my job is to serve people who serve people. And when the students pressed him for more details on that, he said, servant leaders have a humble confidence, are a resource to people being led, value teamwork, Never let people think they are superior to the people they lead. Never assign work they are not willing to do and help others reach their potential. John White had his own reflections on on what it meant to be a servant leader as well. He said that it's serving your followers. That simple. And then he pushes a little further and say to be a servant leader means that you must also be an ethical leader. And he says this, leaders frequently have to decide between doing what benefits them personally and doing what is right. The answer is always do what is right. And I will admit that sometimes as a leader, it is difficult to decide what is right. But I can tell you this, it is never what is best solely for the leader or even what is mostly best solely for the leader. It always has to take into account those for whom the leadership is given. So now that brings us to this question, is David a great leader? 
Well, the passage that I just read is in the middle of Absalom's rebellion of trying to overthrow his father, David. Is the fact that one of his sons has rebelled, is that proof that he is a good or a bad leader? Well, Todd Bolsinger, who writes Canoeing the Mountains, reminds us that all leaders of transformational change must confront and survive the sabotage. Anytime you are leading a group of people through transformational change, they will resist what they perceive as the loss due to that change, and they will try to sabotage you. So the fact that David is encountering sabotage does not mean that he is a bad leader. In fact, it could be a sign that he is a great leader. But what you have to ask is, is the sabotage due to resistance to transformational change? Or is the sabotage due to resistance to injustice? Because it, if, is, if it is that second one, then that is not a sign of a good leader. And then let's think about those characteristics of a servant and an ethical leader that I have just shared with you. And let's start, as we reflect on David, by looking just solely at this passage, this passage with Shammai. Now, David exhibits tremendous humility here in acknowledging that he deserves to have rocks thrown at him, that he has made some decisions that warrant this sort of response. He also goes to lengths to credit others. He credits God and Shammai with taking the just action and calling him to account for it. He also will not have others do his dirty work. When Abishai comes and says, do you want me to cut his head off? David says, no, 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 no. I don't have that expectation of you. And he is committed to teamwork, which we see in the fact that he is riding with his army and he is exhausted right along with them. But the question is, is David doing all of these things because it is right? Or is David doing all of these things because it is best for him? Because as we look at the story in more broad terms, we see that what happens as a result of him allowing Shammai to throw rocks at him is that later on, Shammai brings his tribe to be loyal to David because this moment changes Shammai's mind about David. And so that gets David extra allies in all of these wars that are happening. And we also see that as he is facing his death, he turns to his son Solomon in helping Solomon consolidate power, and he says, Shammai will be a problem for you. Kill him. So that seems like he made this decision not out of goodness and rightness, but out of political expediency for what it would result in for him. And that's the struggle with David. Sometimes he does these wonderful things that, that are full of humility and that seem to model great leadership for us. And then sometimes he is just working to make his name great. And then we see other tensions in which he is not exhibiting servant leadership in probably the second, maybe best-known story of David is the story about Bathsheba. And we are told in the beginning of that story, it opens with, in the spring, when kings go off to war, David is not off to war. He has stayed at home and let other people do his dirty work. And that gets him into some trouble. 
And it sets up a model of him showing that he uses power to take for his own benefit, which does lead directly to Absalom's rebellion. As Amnon copies his father's abuse and entitlement in taking his sister to Mar, and Absalom uses that abuse to justify killing his brother and overthrowing his father. We see in David the germs of what it takes to be a servant leader. The seeds are there, but David does not consistently make ethical choices. God sees in David that potential. But for those of us trying to model after him, we we can't build on a, a, a foundation of trust. We can't have confidence in the choices that David is making. And it is our choices that make all the difference in our leadership. Leadership is ultimately in our choices. Leaders have these very visible and defining moments, but those visible and defining moments are prepared for in the practice of everyday choices, in those small moments of choosing what is right that maybe only affect one or two people, but they lay a foundation for you as a leader to be accustomed to making those decisions, those right decisions, those ethical choices, so that when you are thrust into those moments that are those defining moments, you know how to do it. Consistent leadership leaves a clear model And let me remind us, as we are examining legacy, that we never know who is and isn't watching and who is carrying on your legacy. I want to return to John White's story. He shares in this book his whole life journey of being a leader and how he at times made mistakes, but what he learned from those mistakes and how they then shaped him into the leader that he has grown into. And how it was in those very small decisions, those decisions when he had less power that he was making, that then set up the practice for the needed moments that he would have when he had a much bigger stage. And one of those defining moments came when he was a chancellor at the University of Arkansas, and it was the shooting of Dr. John Locke. And in that moment, he recognized that he needed to create spaces of open communication. He needed to listen to those around him who had a had an understanding of how we had gotten, where we had gotten to. He recognized he was not the ultimate expert in this field, so he brought psychologists in, and he brought the UA Police Department in, and he brought those that had been struggling with other situations much like that, and he made open spaces for people to share their grief and communicate their worries and their fears, including the all-university town hall meeting that they held the day after the shooting, which he initiated and led the campus through. And in creating that open space of communication, he allowed a young woman to go to the microphone and share all of her fears, her worries, the very fact that she had been in the building where her advisor had been shot and killed and all that she had to now confront and deal with, the loss of her advisor, the loss of that feeling of security and safety in a building she was in every week of her life. He created that space for that pain and that fear to be voiced. And I was that woman. And as a result of that moment, 
and the subsequent reflection that I did around that event, I discerned the call to be right here in front of you today. John White's leadership that day revealed a life of servant leadership and helped call another servant leader forward. And that is the truth of a leader's legacy. A leader's legacy is followers, but a leader's legacy is also other leaders. I am grateful to stand before you this day as a piece of John White's legacy. But I'm even more grateful that he and I both claim the legacy of Jesus Christ. The legacy that took the seeds of servant leadership that were in David and redeemed them for that whole family line and said, this is how you do it. This is how you love more fully for the benefit of others. Redeeming David and giving a path for leaders like myself and John White and for all of you. I am grateful for God's grace, how it works in the midst of those spaces of brokenness when we don't make the right decisions. And I'm grateful for Jesus Christ who shows us in the everyday how the choices we make when they are choices of love make all the difference. Thanks for listening to the sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church in downtown Bentonville. If you would like to let us know you were here, follow the link below to connect. To participate in worship through giving, you can give online at fumcbentonville.org or on Venmo at fumcbentonville. FUMC Bentonville welcomes all. Because we believe the communion table is God's table, we invite everyone into our church family. We welcome and celebrate every race, gender, gender identity, sexual orientation, marital status, age, physical and mental ability, national origin, economic station, and political ideology. We come together in action and outreach, aspiring to follow Jesus' example of radical hospitality, love, and grace as a transformative movement in our community. Please join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m., both in person and on Facebook Live. All are welcome, and we'd love to have you with us. Grace and peace.